Thank you for joining in for this City Lights Church podcast. We're a new church in the north of Brisbane, and you can find out more about us at www.citylights.community. We hope that this podcast encourages you in your journey of following Jesus. Well, we are continuing our series called Tables and Altars. Now, this series is all about the environments that we create with our words, with our actions. Here's what we recognize. I think everyone at some point in their life has gone into a room or an environment or a space And they've been able to sense the atmosphere in that space. Like you come into a place and you're like, there's life here. There's warmth here. Or you come into the place like, this is icky or, or something's like, there's conflict. Now, what we're saying is that that is a product of actions, decisions, words, things that have gone on in the past. Now, here's what we're saying is that lots of people can recognize it. But can you change it? Can you change? Can you influence? What does it take to influence an atmosphere, to change an atmosphere, and to make a tangible difference in uh, an environment? Now, today we're talking about families. I'm sure we'd all agree that our family of origin, the family that we grew up in, the life circumstances surrounding that are one of the biggest influences in our life. Who would say, yes, I, I agree that the family that you grew up, good, bad, indifferent, that makes a mark on a person and an individual. Now, family of origin, here's why it's so important. Family of origin doesn't define what is healthy it defines what is normal. You understand what I'm saying there? It doesn't define what is healthy. It defines what is normal. And we can be used to an environment, a certain set of situations. So we're so used to it, it is so normal that we are unable to recognize the effect that it has on us and sometimes the effect that it has generationally. And this plays out in all kinds of different ways Uh, not all in areas of unhealth, just what's normal. Like, for example, uh, in the family that I grew up in, we we celebrate birthdays, but not so much with birthday cakes. Now, Beck, my beautiful wife here, her family, they always have a cake. And so in the early stages of our marriage, it took me about five goes to realize that Beck likes a cake on her birthday. All right, five goes, not too bad. Unfortunately, those five goes represented five years. <laughs> so, because I'm like, uh, do you, you know, she's like, do you want a cake? I'm like, I don't want a cake. What kind of ice cream are we going to eat? <laughs> do you want to put that ice cream in the form of cake? Go for it. I don't really care. Just scoop it out. The other thing is different for her. I've got to get her a cake. It doesn't have to be fancy. It's just got to be a cake with a candle and that's normal and that's special and that's one way that I can show love to her on her birthday. 
But this also plays out in more meaningful ways. An example is how did your family that you grew up with conflict? Were you like, if you had conflict, did you sweep it under the rug? And then eventually the rug becomes a speed bump. And eventually people are putting on their backpacks and their oxygen masks because the rug is so high, they're climbing over it. Is that what you grew up with? You know, what, if you had conflict, did you talk about it? Did you resolve it? Or if you had a conflict, was there fireworks? Was there yelling? Was there shouting? And that could even just be normal. It's like, and other people come in and you're like, that's just, that's normal for us. That's just how we talk to us. Sometimes that's cultural, right? Sometimes it's unhealthy. Sometimes that's just the way that you do what is normal for you. What we need to recognize is that our family of origin provide well-worn paths and patterns that we usually default to under pressure. So we are more likely to naturally react and be influenced heavily by the family that we grew up in, regardless of whether we think it's the right thing. It's just the normal thing for us. This is, this is what my parents did. This is normal. And sometimes we recognize it and sometimes we don't. And so today we are talking about families. Here are a couple of questions for us today. How can we encourage each other to change the atmosphere and environments in our families? How can we encourage each other? How can we get alongside us? How can we as a community begin to talk about, begin to take action, begin to shift things? For some of us, how can we give our kids a better experience than what we had? How can we give, for some of us, that's the question, like, I want my children to have a different environment in the home to grow up than I did. That's, that's for some of us. For others of us, how can we make sure that we don't drop the baton, you know, like in a relay? So for those of us who have experienced a spiritual legacy, how can we make sure that we don't just take our eye off the ball and just drop the baton and make a mess of some of the health that we've inherited? That's another question. My last question is, is there anything more important? Is there anything more important than us having a generational impact, than us as a community being known, no matter what our starting point is, as a place which champions life, spiritual life and health in our home. If your home is a place of conflict, the chances that you are happy in life are probably slim. But if our home is filled with peace, if our home is filled with love, if it's a place where the presence of God dwells, is there anything more important than that? And I'm not sure that there is. One of the key ways that we've been seeing that we are able to shift an environment and an atmosphere, and the way that we see this and know this in the Bible is through altars. That's what we've been talking about. 
And uh, last week I unpacked this concept quite a bit. And so if you want to catch up on that podcast, you can. That's available online. But let me say this. Altars are spaces and places for encounter and devotion. And God is calling us to build altars in four key areas. Last week I talked about the hearts. This week we're going to talk about the homes. And then we've also got our church and our city. And so today I want to talk about building an altar in your home. Now the Old Testament, if you've read a little bit of it, maybe you haven't noticed, but the theme of altars is quite prominent in the Old Testament. When God wanted to shift something, when he spoke a word, when there was an appearance of an angel or the presence of God, the voice of God, often for the spiritual health, the economic health, the social health of a nation, he would say, I want you to deconstruct and reconstruct an altar. Very, very prominent. Now, in the stories that we see in the Bible, in the Old Testament, often this was accompanied with some kind of dis- like physical destruction, sometimes bloodshed. Okay, There's the, the time with Elijah and the prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel. That story did not end well for, I think it was like 800 prophets of Baal. They met an untimely end. Now, I just want to say that I am not, this is not a call to arms. That this is, the Apostle Paul says that our battle is not against flesh and blood, but it is against every spiritual power, stronghold, spiritual authority. And so we've got to understand that some of the things that we talk about, they are vivid pictures that allow us to grasp a concept and the way that we live those out are different. One of my favorite stories is from Judges chapter 6. I spoke about this a couple of weeks ago, but Gideon has an encounter with God. He's feeling quite insecure. He's feeling quite insignificant. He has an encounter with God that eventually sees him being raised up a leader to shift a whole nation. Now, what's significant with this is his first response to this encounter in uh, verse 624 is he builds an altar, a personal altar. This is what we talked about, an altar of the heart. I've met God. Something has changed. Something has shifted. I'm building an altar. I'm remembering this moment of encounter. I saw the Lord. That's the first thing he does. But here's what's next is that God calls him to build a family altar. I don't know if you know this story. The problem is that in his household, there are already altars to two gods. There's an Asherah pole and there's an altar to Baal. So what he does, and this is particularly significant and risky in a patriarchal society of that time, God says, here's what I want you to do. I want you to destroy those altars. I want you to use the wood from the Asherah pole to make an altar. And I want you to sacrifice the second bull from your father's herd to me. Now, that's pretty risky, right? So say, for example... um, my uh, my beautiful wife, her father is not yet a Christian. So Beck becomes a Christian. She says, she comes to her dad and she says, Dad, 
You know your record collection with all your 70s bangers, all right, all your Led Zeppelin, your Beatles, all those classics, right? I've actually taken them all. You know Stairway to Heaven, your favourite song? I've actually taken that collection and I've replaced it with 70s Christian worship bangers, all right? Now, I did a little bit of research. There are some who are around in that era. I don't believe that 70s was the best decade for Christian worship. There's a lot of Maranatha. Fun fact, fun fact, true story. Look this up in your own time. Not now, all right? I know you've all got phones. Don't use them. I think it's the number four Christian worship song from the 70s is a song called Shotgun Angel. So this is what happens. I don't know. I've never heard. I'm going to listen to it on the way home. Maybe we could do a remix. Maybe we could get the beat drop. Anyway. So Rebecca says to her dad, look, I've taken your record collection I've replaced it with Maranatha and Shotgun Angel. I think you'll like it. You know that secret stash of money that you have? I've also given that to the Turkey and Syria earthquake appeal. There's a little bit of the vibe of what Gideon is doing. He is actually taking quite dramatic action to shift and create an altar. What we recognize from this story is that there is a sequence, a pattern, a biblical pattern that God lays out if we want to see a tangible change to environments, to relationships. And it's interesting because how else would we shift something? Like It's a really challenging question. How how am I going to shift the environment in a home? How would I do that? That's for some if you've grown up in a in a home of conflict and pain, you might be like that is that's the hardest thing, right? But this is part of the pattern. The altar of the heart, the personal altar, the family altar, and then we see Gideon went on from here. So if we're going to see change like Gideon, we need to sometimes deconstruct but definitely construct and reconstruct an altar that is devoted to God, a place of encounter and worship in our home. So how are we going to uh, talk about this? Where would we go? Well, we're going to go to a passage of Scripture in the Old Testament that Jesus himself considered one of the most significant passages in the whole Old Testament. So a couple of times in the New Testament, Jesus is asked by Pharisees or he has a conversation or a dialogue and he's asked to summarize the teachings of Moses. Okay, there's 613 uh, commands of Moses and then we've got some other writings there. And so they're like, hey, Jesus, how would you summarize all of Moses' teachings? And Jesus says this, he quotes from Deuteronomy chapter 4, so Deuteronomy chapter 6, he doesn't quote this first part, but this second part, listen, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord alone, and this is what he quotes, and you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, 
and all your strength, and you must commit yourselves wholeheartedly. Get this, you must, the word language I'm putting in this, you must make this an altar of your heart. You must commit yourself, your whole heart, you must devote and dedicate yourself to this, that these commands that I'm giving you today. So love the Lord. The second, watch this, therefore becomes a generational responsibility. It says this, repeat them again and again to your children. Talk about them when you're at home and when you're on the road, when you are going to bed and when you are getting up. Here's what this passage is saying. is saying, yes, you've got to bring these in wholeheartedly, love God with every part, not just you, you give thought to the concept of loving God, but with your whole being, with your whole song, with your whole soul, with your energy, raising and lifting your hands in worship, not just I feel love for God, but I express my love to God. And then he says, here's what we need to do. We need to build a family altar. It is my responsibility. It is your, your responsibility. We have a generational responsibility. You know what he, he doesn't say? He doesn't say, look, we're going to get the priests, those that are ordained by God, to teach the children. Or we're going to put it in the schooling system to teach the children. Although I believe in kids' ministry and I believe in Christian schools. But what we want to understand is that each and every one of us has a generational responsibility. Now, this operates in your home, but it also operates in our community. Do you know research says, it's based out of America, it says in the Western church... The statistics are that three out of every four children who grow up in church, by the time they reach their young adult years, will walk away from God. Three out of every four. Can I get a little bit passionate for a moment? Maybe even a little bit intense. Yes? Could we make this real? We're not going to do this, but what if we weren't just talking about statistics? What if we were talking about faces? What if we got like 15, 20 kids out in kids' ministry right now? What if we brought them out? What if they were my kids and your kids and kids that you've seen and your grandkids? And we've got these kids and we get them out and one, two, three... You're not going to make it. Not a prophecy. If we don't do anything, you're, you're going to walk away from God. You're going to get caught up in the things of the world. You're going to become an atheist or an ag- agnostic. That breaks my heart. Does it break your heart? Do you want to do something about it? Do you want to, with everything that's in you, would you be willing to do something different? Would you be willing to make sacrifices for the next generation, for those kids? I know I would. And so there is a generational responsibility. You know what was interesting from that study 
is it also gave five reasons why kids stayed, the 25%, the one in four. And that is our hope. And I want to give them to you because they are really practical and tangible things that we can do as a community and as families. The first one is this. Of the 25% that stayed, they ate dinner five of seven nights a week as a family. Isn't that interesting? Now, the way that I would put that in the language that we were talking, that is the family table. We would gather a place of community and communication. Number two, they had a spiritual experience in the home during the week. A spiritual experience. I would call this the family altar. That their home was not a place that was just like every other home on the block, but it was a place where parents led their children. Now, we'll talk a little bit more practically about that in, the, in a minute. Number three, they had at least one faith-focused adult in their lives other than their parents. And this is where we come in as a community. And we are so blessed to have uh, kids' teams We've got um, people that pray for our kids and kids' ministry, which is awesome. But if we were moved in our heart that we had a generational responsibility, I would say that in our church, we should have hands going up all over this church saying, I want to be part of investing in the next generation. I, I Do you guys need more kids workers? Do you, you know, we're going to launch a youth ministry in the next couple of years. How can we equip? How can we grow? But basically, just relationship, getting alongside, encouraging. There should be a stirring in our hearts that says, I'm going to be part of that. Is it going to inconvenience you? A hundred percent. Are you tired? Yes, you are. Do you have other things in your life? Of course you do. But when we realize that we have a generational responsibility in our homes and as a church, there becomes something that flows from within us that says, I don't want to go asleep. I don't want to abdicate my responsibility. I want to be part of what God is doing. Dodger, I get a little intense. You were warned. Okay, number four. They served with their families in a ministry. This is important. This is one of the five things that we did. I dug up the the archives a little bit, something from my own upbringing, a photo here. This is a late 80s family choir. If the attendants could come around with the clipboards, we're going to be forming choirs. Okay, my psychologist said it would be helpful. <laughs> so this is us in Thailand as missionaries. Look, I'm grateful. That's not us, no. That's, no, I think everyone knows who that is. That's Catherine with a perm and a guitar. <laughs> and that's Pastor John. Yeah, I'm over here. You can see this. This is me. All right, and and for those of you who know my dad, Pastor John, 
uh, not advanced hair. His hair was actually that colour. <laughs> just for men, sorry. Not advanced hair, just for men. So we had the opportunity to serve as a family. That's going to be one of the most healthy things that you can do is bring your kids along and bring them into that experience. Number five is this, that they were entrusted with responsibility in ministry at an early age. So we have a bunch of different ways that we do that. We're also going to be starting a junior leadership program um, later this year as well because this is important to us. Those are five things that the research... I think what I love about those, those are very practical. We could say, am I doing those or not? If we, had a, we, we have a, a clear pathway to help us. But I also want to give you, from this passage, I want to give you a couple of things that are involved from Deuteronomy chapter 6, very, very significant passage of Scripture, about creating an altar of prayer and discipleship in your home. Creating an altar of prayer and discipleship in your home. And the first point is this, is this recognize that discipling the next generation cannot be delegated. I cannot outsource the discipleship of my kids to anyone else. It is my responsibility. It's my responsibility. It means that I need to have intentionality. It may mean that I need to equip myself. The challenge with discipling in your family is that your kids are always watching you. And you can't just say stuff to them. You've actually got to do it yourself. What a disappointment. Just listen to my words. Be holy. Never raise your voice. Children should be seen and not heard. No, I don't say I don't say this. If you've been to our house, that's definitely not the case. You can probably hear. How one of our neighbours, our new neighbours, he's like, he's like, yeah, oh, you, you're the ones, you're the, you're the family with dogs and the kids that fight. I was like, okay, my boys do. Like a robust argument whilst playing cricket, but yes, I'm a pastor, by the way. All glory to God. So, I think sometimes we can make this like I've got to deliver sermons and and stuff, but really, a lot of it is the everyday. There's got to be an intentionality, but. We can take these little moments when we're driving in the car. We can turn the music off. We can pray for the day, get around the table. We can open, we can share. There's one thing that I started doing maybe about a year ago when I put the kids to bed, I just take a little bit more time with each child. I call it dad chats and we just talk about stuff and pray about stuff and I realise that each of my children connect with God in different ways. My boy, Joe, who's 10, he loves the Word of God. It's just something natural within him. Miranda, she's got a prophetic edge. So we pray prophetically in a very simple way. And so I don't want you to be overwhelmed. I just want you to be in the game. We'll help you. We'll talk about it. There's a partnership here. The second, 
is that we need to make being filled and full of the love of Jesus the goal. The goal is not church attendance. The goal is not compliance to rules, although it is important to act honorably and to treat each other well. The goal is to instill in our kids, both in our families and as a community, a love of Jesus and a love of people and a love of the church. I couldn't think of anything worse than having the low goal of hoping that my kids just go to church. I want them to be devoted to Jesus. I want them to know what it's like to hear the voice of God, to go on an adventure with God. I want them not just to come to church, but to be in a place where they come because they love what's going on and they want to be part of the community and want to be part of what God is doing in our city. Do you know this answers the why of the church? Why are we going to church? Because we love Jesus. Because we love people. Why are we going early? Why are we setting up? Why do we have to stay late? Because it's our privilege to serve. It's an honor. And the Bible says that actually as we're serving, we're serving Jesus. Jesus himself. We're honoring him. That's why. To be being filled and full of the love of Jesus. Here's a challenging thought, but I think a wonderful thought, is that it's our responsibility to share a beautiful and captivating vision of Jesus. Not a transactional do this, do that, but like Jesus is a person. He's awesome. You can meet him. He can change your life. Have that in the home. A place where we experience the presence of God. The third is this. We need to aggressively deal with your past so the next generation doesn't have to. Aggressively. When I say aggressively, you might be like, that word sounds aggressive. What I mean is take action. Do something. You didn't have the best home growing up. It made a mark on you. I'm sorry about that. We're going to help you find the healing of of Jesus. But at the same time, let's deal with some stuff generationally. So your, your parents... Or your grandparents were involved in some witchcraft or some occult, psychics, Freemasonry. Okay, deal with it. Deal with it. Let's you deal with it. Don't kick, you've heard the saying, kick the can down the road. You've got to face up. There's all different ways. We're not just saying, fix it. We're saying, we're here to help you. This is why we exist. We exist to see you come into the type of freedom that allows the next generation to flourish. Every one of us, we've got our things that we need to deal with, some more than others. Some have had a worse starting point. 
I got to deal with them so my kids don't have to. Now, the people of Israel, they were in transition. So they've come out of Egypt, a place of slavery and bondage, and they're coming into Canaan, which is a place of corruption and moral wickedness. And they're in this transition. And it's important with our past, we need to know where we're living from. And in our future, that represents Egypt. Egypt represents that. In our future, Canaan talks about what we're living for. What are you living from and what are you living for? If you can sort out those two things, you will bring an exceptional level of health and life and vitality into your home. And here in this passage, verse 12, it says, Be careful you do not forget the Lord who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. Here's what the passage is saying. Don't forget that God has set you free. Because often we can live in bondage even though we're free. We can be like a bird who's trapped in a cage, but the door's open. There's freedom. We've just got to step into it. And I know it's not like a magic wand. But we need to understand that God has given us power. He's given us community. He's given us tools that we can break free from relational dysfunction. We can break free from spiritual bondage. So do something about it. Do something. Talk to somebody. If you're in a connect group, talk to your leader. If you don't have a connect group leader, talk to me and I'll help somebody connect with you. It's so important to us. We want you to be free. We want to make sure that what you're, you've dealt with what you're living from. And now you're living from your new identity in Christ. Now you're living from not your family of origin, but your family in Christ and what he's done for you. The challenge of the future, I believe the biggest challenge, what Canaan represents is what we're living for. Are you living to please yourself or are you living to please God? It's a simple question, right? When I think about my future, we need to teach our kids to live under the authority and the priority of God. Verse 2, chapter 6, You and your children and grandchildren must fear the Lord your God as long as you live. The fear of God means you live under the authority and the priority of God. What often happened in the Old Testament is people would have a God encounter that would mark them, that would change them. But in that encounter, they recognized the gap between themselves and God. Essentially, they recognized they were not God and God was God. This is the fear of God. An encounter with God will mark you, but it will imprint on your spirit that God has a plan and a priority and that your life is not your own. Your resources are not your own. Your time is not your own. When you live under the fear of God, you say, God, you're God. I'm not. The best thing, 
the most joyous, the most life-giving, the most full of love that I can be is under your loving care and living out the adventure of a life. We need to live to please God. If we can deal with the past, what we're living from, and then if we can agree that we are living for God, we are living to please God, we don't get caught up in the seduction of stuff and materialism. It's okay to have stuff, but don't let it be king. Don't let it be your boss. And if we teach our kids to hear the voice of God for themselves, to guide them, to nurture them, to encounter God. If we recognize that in homes that we live counterculturally, we're not just like every other house on the street. We do different things. Like for us, always have. I've only been in uh, paid ministry for about um, maybe about 11 years. Prior to that, I was a volunteer, right? Always passionate about local church. But Beck and I made a decision early on in our life that we are a church family. We go to church on Sundays. I don't look at the Sundays come around and you might say, oh, you're a pastor. No, that's a decision that we made. We're going to be in the house of God because it's an environment of life-giving. It's a place where our family will flourish. It's a community of life. In our family, we don't just watch what everyone else is watching. We don't just watch whatever Disney and Netflix want to put out. We take responsibility for that. We research it. We make sure that that is going to be life-giving to them. The last one, and we're almost done. You doing okay? This is a goal. This is where to start and also where to persevere is to make your house a house of prayer. What's my house? My house is a house of prayer. Does that mean that it's a constant prayer meeting? My daughter's like shaking her head in a very big way. (laughs) We have a lot of fun in our house. It means that Our house is devoted to God. It's a place where the presence of God dwells. It's a place that is submitted to God. It's a place where we say, hey, God, what do you want? Sometimes it's a place, we've done this a couple of times, where we've had a need in our family, even a financial need. We've got the kids together and we've prayed And we've seen miraculous answers. And we say to them, look, remember that prayer that we prayed three weeks ago? This is how God's answered it. Our house is devoted to God. Our house is a place of the encounter of God. My encouragement, maybe you're along this way. Don't give up. Maybe you're at the beginning. We'll help you. There are so many easy things, but Be in the mix. Can we pray together? Why don't you stand to your feet?
Thank you for listening. You can find out more about City Lights Church at www.citylights.community. Thank you.